0: Hello, this is Marshall Adler with my good friend and co-host, Steve Smolsky, and I want to thank you so much for listening to part two of our very, very special interview today with Dr. Joel Hunter. We covered very many interesting things in our part one of the interview, but part two I think is going to be a fascinating discussion dealing with many of the issues that are affecting society today, including, but not limited to the effect of the COVID-19 virus on society and grieving and the effect that the Black Lives Matter movement has had on society and grieving. So again, I want to thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoy part two of our interview with our very special guest, Dr. Joel Hunter, as much as you enjoyed part one. It's interesting you say that. Let me ask you this. I viewed grief as a individual journey. And I think what you and Becky are doing is fantastic. And I feel like Debbie and I are doing the same thing that we know we're grieving as parents, but I also know she's got her journey and I have my journey. Her journey as a mother is different than my journey as a father. And I know uh, Matt's brother, David, is on his own journey as a sibling. He said something that i never thought about he said that when parents lose a child the natural inclination is to have all the empathy go to the parents because obviously they've lost a child which is true but a lot of people forget about the siblings and he said something really he said that hopefully and we we do hope this that he's going to outlive us by decades obviously and he says his grief is going to be decades longer than our grief because he's 30 years old. I'm 64. And he said that the loss of his his children that aren't even born yet, knowing his funny, hilarious uncle, Matt, will never happen. And he grieves that. And I thought about that, and I said that never was on my radar screen. So how has your family's grief journey been different as a unit, you know, for father,
1: mother, and sibling? Well, um, a couple of things. First of all, it has drawn us um, so much closer to each other. Um, All of my sons were each other's best friends. They right. went to they went to the same college. They roomed together. Wow. Um. They they lived in the same town. They they planted the same church. They they um. I mean I mean they were just so close. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, when Isaac uh, committed suicide, it was his older brother that discovered the body. Wow. So, <laughs> um. It's it's hard to say how that will affect Josh the rest of his life, but. It, it will. Um, um, there are some bad consequences to this, uh, because uh, both of my sons now are divorced uh, because of, I think, uh, because of the grieving process, um, and and um, um, I mean, they're they're they love their kids. you know, it's, so. So it's not that it's not that it ruined their whole lives, um, but what it did was um, it made because they live in the town we live in. Um, it made them uh, much more. Uh, we interact as parents uh, and sons uh, more because of mu- this mutual loss, um, and we process, um, more, um, openly, uh, because we, we all grew up together. You know, some, mm-hmm. some people say, you know, um, you don't raise your kids, your kids raise you. Um, um, um and so they have been a part of our growing up, um, and our understanding of uh, different aspects of Isaac's life that we didn't understand before because they were so close. So, um, your son's absolutely right. Um, they will carry this, um, um, into the future. Uh, Isaac's children, um, they, they, they love his children. Um, but there's this angst, there's, there, there's, I wish I could be the father for him, <laughs> for them that Isaac, what? but they can't, you know. So there's this ongoing angst and, and, uh, and, they, and the kids, you know, love their uncles and, and, and um, there's some closeness there, but there's, there's this ongoing challenge. Um, we know how in our minds it should have been, but how do you live plan B? You know, right. and so, right. and so that's it's, it is very much a challenge, Marshall.
0: You know, it's interesting you mention that because I'm a news hound. I love looking at history, and Anderson Cooper on CNN. Obviously, his mother was Gloria Vanderbilt, and some people may or may not know this, but his older brother died by suicide on July twenty second. 1988, which is 30 years to the day before Matt's suicide. And so whenever I watch CNN, he's not on TV on July 22nd, the day we're grieving Matt's in the, in the Jewish religion, you light a Yahrzeit candle. It's a memorial candle at the anniversary of somebody's death. And Anderson Cooper is not on TV because I know he's mourning his brother's death, which was 32 years ago. And so I talked to Dave after Matt's passing and I knew of Anderson Cooper's story and I read an article again Anderson Cooper's mother was Gloria Vanderbilt he didn't have to go out and do things but he did he started traveling around the world to become a journalist really in honor of his brother and I looked at Dave And what you said about your brothers is exactly what I think my boys were like. As different as you can get, Matt was this funny, artistic. He was a Wikipedia when it came to movies. He was just phenomenal. He wanted to be a movie director. That's why he was living in California. And Dave was always an athletic jock. But they loved each other and their intersections when they – had the common interest was just so close. So what I told Dave was that you have an opportunity to live your life as a tribute to Matt and that's what he'd want you to do. And I look at Anderson Cooper as a journalist, has affected so many people, different stories. And I I saw an interview with him where he was just talking, he goes, but for his brother dying by suicide, he probably wouldn't become a journalist and take a different life. So I know what you mean. It's the flip side of the same coin where Dave is going to be grieving, not having his children having this hilarious Uncle Matt in their lives. But on the other hand, I do think it's giving him impetus to think that he's got Matt on his shoulder every day and want want to make him proud every day. Yeah. That's exactly
1: right, absolutely right, yeah,
0: and hopefully that'll happen,
1: yeah, absolutely. I believe it, I hope so.
2: Joel, we've had some people approach us and ask, um, they've so when Shelley and I started grief, a lot of the people had lost spouses or parents or grandparents. There weren't that many that had lost children. And over the last few years, there's been many more that have come through, and they seek us out and ask us a question. Their biggest fear is their child didn't know Jesus, and they want to know if they're going to be in heaven. How would you counsel
1: that answer back to them? God's got this. (laughs) God's got this. He made your kid, you know, Um, your child was fearfully and wonderfully made, knit together in his mother's womb. Um, And so um, there's lots of people who don't know Jesus, uh, but there's nobody God didn't make. Um, And so um, there's several theological things I could give you, you know, um, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. On the cross, he said, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." In other words, ignorance uh, really is a basis for forgiveness. Um, and so, but mostly, just tell them not to worry about this, because God loved that child or that uh, youngster or person uh, way more than they did. Um, and so, um, it, it's it's just this matter of of trust. Um, you know when I when I was growing up, and and, and uh, I would meet um, religious people that were very well meaning, uh, but again very mechanical uh, in their understanding, um, and and had kind of this zero sum approach to, to life. You were the winner, or you were the loser. You can't, you, you know. Um, and and um, thank God. Um, He's not like that. Uh, The 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 Bible says rain falls on the just and the unjust, and and uh, the sun shines on the just and the unjust, and so on and so forth. So, um, um, part of believing is letting God be God. You know, not trying to pretend that you're the judge, that you can figure out who's going and who's not, Um, and. Um, you know, I I uh, I knew Billy Graham, and 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 Billy was one. As a matter of fact, before I said before I said the uh, benediction at the Democratic National Convention, I called Billy Graham, up, and I said, "Billy, should I do this?" You know, because I was a party carrying Republican at the time, and and, uh, and Billy said. You're a preacher, aren't you? And I said, "Yeah." Started, "Well, when somebody asks a preacher to pray, they pray." <laughs> it was that was a quintessential Bill Graham, you know. Um, and 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 I, and I tell you that because when George Bush um, um, became a Christian, um, somebody made a comment uh, about. The people who are not saved, you know, don't make it to heaven. And and Barbara Bush, I think this is how the story goes, said, We're going to call Billy Graham. You know, we're just going to call him. You know, now Billy Graham is the most famous evangelist in all the world. He's the one who's given all of these, you know, come know Jesus and all of that kind of stuff because they want people to be secure when they could be secure uh, in, their, in their knowledge of salvation. So they called Billy Graham. And Billy Graham said, Seriously, I mean, he didn't. He didn't. These are my words. This is a paraphrase. <laughs> but, but, um, you think you're going to figure out who goes to heaven and who who doesn't go to heaven? Seriously, and so, and so, even the people who uh, are most earnest to tell people about their experience and their assurance of salvation should know best of all that this is all up to God. This is not up to us. And God knows our hearts, and and the Bible says He judges our hearts, not on the outside. He judges our hearts. So, um, so I, I I'm fully enthusiastic when it comes to giving people peace about trusting God.
2: That's great counsel. I always thought that it wasn't supposed to be an exclusive group. He wanted everybody there. So,
1: oh yeah, there's an old joke about people, you know. Um, Going to heaven and God's or, or somebody's giving them a tour, Maybe Moses or somebody I don't know, and uh, and 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 they keep going by this one section of heaven and 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 the tour guide just a, "Shh, you know, <laughs> be quiet." And uh, and they, and they pass it like two or three times. Finally, when somebody in the group said, "Why do we have to be quiet when we pass that building?" He said, "That's the Baptist." They think they're the only ones here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. That's great. You know, it's interesting. Being Jewish, I've had multiple very good friends tell me that exact same thing. And you talk about humor. And again, most of my jokes are older than dirt. So I'll tell you an old, old joke that I always try to use that, to me shows you how wonderful humor is because I've had many people even in law school and adults telling me that they're fearful of my soul because I, I am Jewish. I'm not Christian. And I would tell them, I said, well, you know, Jesus was Jewish. And they say, uh, yes, I know that. And I said, well, do you know how you know that? How I know that? They say, how do you know that? I said, well, there's obviously three reasons I know Jesus was Jewish. Um, number one, he lived at home till he was 33. Number two, he went into his father's business. And number three, his mother thought he was God. <laughs> so it's a really old <laughs> joke, but I use it as humor. And then people say, I'm not worried about your soul anymore. And that to me is sort of, Joel, what your life has been as such a tolerant, kind compassionate clergyman when the world needs more more people like you but I'm gonna ask you a personal question in the sense that you are so beloved and so many people are going to look to you to help them on their journey of grief how has your journey of grief, affected your ability to help others on theirs? Well,
1: um, let, me, let me just point out a couple of things. I, I think I've said this in a, different, a couple of different ways. But, but uh, first of all, um, there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. You know, sympathy is literally feeling uh, with people. You know, your, your heart goes out to them um and i'm so sorry you're going through this empathy is um i don't know exactly what you're going through but i've had my heart broken um in ways i've been devastated uh i've been uh so broken that i i just had to remember to brush my teeth mm-hmm. you know i've been in that much pain um and so um when Somebody faces devastating circumstances like that. You can't say I know what you're going through because everybody's different, and you don't know what they're going through. But you can say I know what it feels like um, to um, to be in such pain. You can't not only think of anything else; you can't think. Um, and and so I, I just want you to know that my heart hurts for you. The other thing that is different is not from your perspective, it's from their perspective. When people know that you have suffered, there's a, a credibility of caring that they bestow on you that you would never bestow on yourself. I mean, both of us, all three of us, um, because of what we've been through, People will trust that we have a modicum of um, understanding and and compassion uh, and caring that people who had pretty much everything in, in their in their life go right couldn't have. They don't hold it against them. It's just they couldn't possibly know mm-hmm. what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. But when they look at us, they say they can know a piece of what i'm going through and there's a fellowship there there's a connection there um, that I can have with them because of that um and so that's it that's increases your capability to care
0: it's interesting
1: i i i never thought
0: of it that way it's interesting you mentioned that because Being a lawyer, I've had a lot of interaction with people that I know through my professional life but don't really know personally because you just see them nine to five in cases. And what you said is so true. I've had people that I've had maybe one case with 10 years ago call me up or contact me or want to go to lunch to talk about Matt's passing and how it affected them and they'd be tearing up. And I realized that they, they, they never met Matt, but it's affecting them because they might be worried about a loved one in their life, or they might've had, might've had a loss that they're, that they're not telling me. And it definitely, it sounds crazy, but it gives street credence to talk to me. And I have some of these people I've known for years And they would call me up and I assume it was about a case or something. Farthest thing on their mind about this conversation was work. It was about Matt's passing that just allowed me to connect with them on a human basis that I never would have had, but for Matt's passing. And for that, I'm thankful.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I really am. And it's just funny how you talk about unintended consequences and you have to Again, Steve and I talk all the time that in some ways it's a gift to realize that I think all of our sons are looking over us and giving us gifts to help others. I think all Isaac, Jordan, and Matt spent their lives doing that, and their gift to us is allowing us to continue that work. Mm-hmm. that's right i really believe that
1: yeah
2: i know jordan would be getting them in trouble but uh, <laughs> he, he could instigate anything <laughs> it's it's the challenge that untaken that's the problem yeah he would challenge you to do anything <laughs> joel i wanted to switch gears a little bit um this year is unlike any other in the last hundred years, I saw today a lady survive COVID, and she sur- she was a baby, and she survived 2018's flu. Oh yeah, and cancer. And I saw she just had her hundred and second birthday. So we haven't seen anything like this in a hundred years, at least. Grief is difficult enough in a normal year. But when you can't go to the hospital to be with them and hold their hand, and it doesn't even have to be a COVID case. They won't let anybody in for any case. Um, When you can't have a service after to have all your friends come to support you, you can only have 10 at a funeral. um, It's very difficult to to try and help somebody through this process because grief is not supposed to be done on its own. And, and yet that's what we're ordered to do. Um, I don't know if you've got any, any hints of wisdom that you could share that would, because we try and we, we get on video with them. We've done, we just started grief share last night. Um, I just talked to two people today who just lost loved ones since COVID started and they went into lockdown and, and, they're all alone. Both of them. They have nobody with them. They they live by themselves. They're working remotely, and they're struggling.
1: Oh my goodness! Well, you're right, Steve. This this is one of the greatest challenges um, of our lifetimes. Um, partly because we are social animals. Uh, we are we are meant to live life together, um, and and that's. That's just how we're wired. We are people of physicality. I mean, I I love Zoom. I love the time it saves me, uh, but uh, it doesn't replace Mm -hmm. in person presence. Um, I remember um, uh, talking years ago, I was a, a senior pastor of a one of the largest United Methodist churches in uh, Indiana. This is like 40, almost 50 years ago now. Um, And we had a person on our staff that was a, uh, she was a head of our counseling staff, actually. She was brilliant, PhD, clinical psychologist. And her husband um, was on the mound. This is a church softball league. On the mound, pitching, drops dead of a heart attack. Young guy, young guy. She was, she was in her thirties, I think, early thirties. And so, I, I, I wanted to learn what was valuable in a time of grief. Um, and and after some distance, after some time, I asked her if I could ask her a question, and she said, "Yeah," and I said. When you were going through that with your husband, I said, was there anything that was said um, that was particularly helpful? Um, And she paused for a minute. I'll never forget this. She was trying to think back. And she must have taken two or three minutes in silence. And she looked at me and she said, I don't remember anything that was said. I just remember the hugs Mm -hmm. and I thought, Oh boy, there, there it is. (laughs) Now there was, there was some things that were helpful that were said to me uh, at Isaac's passing, but, but honest to goodness, when you take away the hugs, it's tough. And so all I can do is pray for a vaccine um, because nothing can replace actual physical presence. And just being with people, being with people, um, and so, um, so I, I yeah, I, I don't know how to do that other than, um, and and golly, Steve, when when our um, elderly are are shut up in nursing homes and can't be visited by their kids, mm. I can't, I can't get my arms around that. So anyhow, no, there's uh, there's no real good word I can give you on that because uh, nothing replaces uh the physical touch uh or the physical presence of somebody who loves you.
2: I think that is so true and it's it's interesting you gave that answer because Jordan was a hugger. And he taught our whole family to hug. My family was not huggers until Shelly and Jordan came along. So Awesome.
1: Awesome. You know,
0: it's, it's so difficult to be on this journey because as we know, it's not linear that I am amazed how I will get hit with a wave of grief that I never saw coming. Like I, I, tell people that it's two years since Matt's passing and I say that the waves of grief are less frequent, but the wave height never changes. When I get hit by that, it's just like I got the call, Like Matt was 3,000 miles away when he passed away and I got a call from the coroner in San Diego and obviously I'll never forget that and I'll be driving an I-4 or something, and a song will go on, and it's just like I got this thunderbolt of grief from left field, and doing this in the age of a global pandemic, it is tough, because obviously the only one I could hug here is is, is Debbie. Debbie's my wife and Matt's mother, obviously, and we talk about when we have pangs of grief, and sometimes we'll be watching something like at at Matt's funeral, I did a eulogy that I wanted people that didn't know Matt to know about him. About half the people that were at the funeral were Matt's friends. Half the people were our friends that didn't know Matt. So I quoted a lot of famous movie scenes because, again, Matt was just phenomenal. He was like a a savant when it came to movies. And I quote the scene from... The Wizard of Oz, where the wizard is giving the tin man the plastic heart because he didn't have one. And he, the quote that he makes is, um, hearts are not practicable until they're unbreakable, but a heart is not judged by how much you love, but by how much you're loved by others. And I close the eulogy by saying that the life that Matt led would have made the Tin Man and the Wizard of Oz proud because he was so loved. But when I see anything about Judy Garland or Ray Bolger or the Wizard of Oz, I get hit with a thunderbolt of grief because forever, you know, Matt was so funny. These little things laugh because he was just such a amazing person who came to movies that I never knew this. Like everybody knows Wizard of Oz, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. I'm a Jewish guy from Buffalo, New York. Matt, as a young person, told me, do you know Harold Arlen that wrote the uh, song Somewhere Over the Rainbow was a Jewish guy from Buffalo? And I go, I didn't know that. And and, and these little obscure facts sort of make me laugh. So when I get a, a hit of grief, I'll think about Harold Arlen. I didn't know Harold Ireland wrote that. I didn't know he was from Buffalo. I didn't know he was Jewish. Matt knew those things. So let me ask you, how how do you deal with your thunderbolts
1: of grief when you get hit? I cry. You know, I just cry. Um, A lot of times we have pictures, obviously, of Isaac still in the house. There's a picture of Isaac in my office. Um, And I can pass that picture a hundred times. And the hundred and first time I just look and it all comes back and I just, I have to have a time where I just, I just grieve and I, I talk to him, say, I miss you. Um, and, uh, but, um, but there's, there's no way to, I don't share it with people. I don't talk to people about it. I just, I just miss him. I just, set for a while and I hurt, um, because um, I really, you're, you're exactly right. The the, the the waves come less frequently, but they're just as high, just as hard. Um, so you just got to take it in. That's a part, you know, hurt is the price of love. Um, if, if, if we didn't, if we weren't hurting, that means we didn't love, uh, um, and and to the degree that you love someone is the degree which you will always miss them. They can't be replaced. There's always going to be that hole, um, and um, you can. The, one of the things that that, that were um, that helped me when when Isaac passed is somebody told to us, you know, the pain will never get any less but you'll get bigger around it. And it was so helpful for me uh because you do you grow in your perspective um and 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 you grow in your ability but that pain never gets any less. Wow. Yeah, it's
0: intellectually I always think I can have my defenses ready on certain days, like Father's Day, or Matt's birthday, or the day of his passing, I'm sort of of the mindset now, I shouldn't even continue that delusion. My defenses are going to be wiped away by the tears and the feeling of grief in about two
1: seconds. Absolutely right. Father's Day is absolutely the worst day of the year for me. If, if, if I mean, I'm, I can, I'm okay on his birthday. I'm okay on holidays. I'm okay on, even on the day of his passing. But Father's Day, I just sit. <laughs> I sit in my chair in the cemetery, and we just spend time together uh, on Father's Day. It's just, it never gets better. Um, as a matter of fact, it may be getting a little tougher. Um, but the rest of the life, uh, the rest of the year, um, gets better and I've, and I, and I can, I can put things in perspective. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. No defenses.
2: No, Father's, Father's Day is the toughest. It's almost like the other ones pushed it all to Father's Day and they're a little easier and that's tougher. Yeah.
1: So. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
2: I wanted to um, to ask you, you you mentioned President Barack Obama and he had given you a call. Most people don't get any insight into that part of the world. Do you have a, a story or a favorite story you could share with us?
1: Oh, golly. Um, I've got lots of them. Um, I, I, I don't. I don't know that um, – well, first of all, just let me say this. Um, President uh, Obama is a wonderful and decent man and loves his family like crazy. You know, when Michelle came down to Northland um, um, for one of her um, – get – you know, those exercise things she did, you know, get healthy, um, events. Um, um, I, I spent quite a bit of time with him, didn't spend as much time with her, but in my introduction, I said, whenever I talked with the president and I said, how's, Mich- how's Michelle and the girls, his eyes just lit up. I mean, this was a man who so genuinely loves his wife and his family. Mm-hmm that it just shows on his face um it's just remarkable he was always building her up and always um um giving her credit um for everything so um so he's a man of tremendous humor i mean he made me laugh out loud um and uh but but the main thing about him is I don't know that I've ever met a man with the depth of attention to others instead of himself and the depth of compassion. I remember one time I just have to tell you one story and I'm down to 17% on my, on my computer. It's going to have to be fast. Uh, but um, um, I, it, it was at the very beginning of uh, the um or at, at, toward the beginning of the presidential debates, um, and there was a debate held at Messiah College, uh, and I was to ask the first question to Hillary Clinton, um, um, and I, I knew, um, um, Senator Clinton be- from before, and I had asked her before in other debates questions, and, and so, and so, I'm asking her this question and she's answering the question. I'm, I'm out in the, like the first row of people who were asking questions. And, uh, and, and I, I feel this, this presence just creeping up the aisle. It's, it's like doing an army crawl <laughs> up the <laughs> aisle and I'm thinking, what in the world? This is creepy. So, you know, she's answering, she got done answering the question. And I feel this tap on, on my, on my, uh, um, arm. And, uh, and I looked down and there's a guy down there. He says, um, Senator Obama's, um, wondering if you'd like to come and pray with him before he goes on. And I said, sure, I'd be glad to do that. So after the attention shifted to the other part of the room, I slipped out. We went down to the catacombs that are under Messiah college. And I'm just thinking to myself, okay, there's going to be, it's going to be typical. There's going to be 50 of us. We're all going to be laying hands on him and, you know, taking turns. It was just me and the, him in the hallway, wow. and and uh, and and I, re, I and I remember that week especially, of course, every week he had just gotten beat up by the press. I mean, just pummeled by the press. And so I I I went up to him. And I said, "Senator, uh, thanks for the opportunity to pray with you." I said, "I know I know you've had a rough week." Uh, he looked me on And he said, no. He said, the single mom who's trying to feed her kids has had a rough week. Mm. I'm I'm fine. And I thought, that's him in a nutshell. Um, He was, uh, I could never, you know, when I said, what do we pray about? It was always about somebody else, never about him. So anyhow, that's just kind of of who he was and, and who he still is. Two hours before my last sermon, two hours before my last sermon, I said that'd be a last story. Uh, You know, preachers, we always got another one. (laughs) (laughs) Two hours, two hours, you know, he he had before he, before he um, um, went into politics, he was a community organizer. When he came out of Harvard, he was a community organizer. And so two hours before my last sermon at uh, Northland, I had already determined I was going to work with the homeless and become a fake community organizer. So he calls me up and he said, what are you doing? And I, I said, I have no idea. You were a community organizer. What am I doing? <laughs> so it was just, it was one of those kind of um, uh, relationships that just was a friendship, not, nothing pretentious. We didn't try to, I never tried to talk politics with him. It was very personal, uh, mutually supportive. Uh, But I can tell you, he's a wonderful man. Wow. It's a great story.
0: I got one quick question. I I, I know my computer runs out of juice and it drives me insane looking at those little numbers go down. So I'll try to speak fast. I'll just say this. You know, growing up in Buffalo, New York, everybody was a Democrat just the way it was. I remember when I was six years old, I went to see John F. Kennedy at Buffalo City Hall on my father's shoulders. I was six years old and when he was assassinated i was 7 years old and the crossing guard at my school told me he says johnson's president and i go who's johnson and i look back now that that was my first introduction to grief because i just knew kennedy was always president during my life i just i just and, and so it sort of got me involved in social issues and i know you your life is such an exemplary life, and I did some research how, in the 60s, did Martin Luther King's passing affect you, and how is that dovetailed into what's happening now with Black Lives Matter and George Floyd? I'd be very interested in how that's affected your professional life.
1: I grew up in, a, in an all-white town in the Midwest. Uh, I did not know at the time that we had an ordinance that no black or colored people could be in that town, could live in that town. Wow! Uh, and there, and that, was, that was not unusual in the Midwest uh, back in that day. But when I went to college, it was, it was in the 60s, and I immediately got involved in the civil rights movement. Um, and when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, I came to a crisis of faith. Um, and, and because I was trying to make things right, by getting the right pr- people in office. And and then I it it hit me. It's not about getting the right people in office. It's about who we want to be as a people and it's about including those who have been left out. Um and so on the occasion of his assassination, I gave my whole life um to following Christ and including people who had not been included. Um, and it's kind of been my story ever since, um, and it's why I'm involved uh, today uh, with the rebirth of the civil rights movement, uh, hopefully in a new way. Um, I was just on the phone um, the other day with uh, um, Congressman Clyburn, Jim Clyburn, and he was reminiscing about John Lewis and hit some of their last, uh, their last conversations. Um, um, he was with him uh, very close to the time he died, and they we, they were reminiscing about um, the civil rights movement in the '60s, which I was a part of, and I can remember uh, many of the things he was saying. Um, but I, I I have great hope um, that the horrible circumstance of the killing of George Floyd will set us on a path. Um, of becoming a nation that includes people um, because of their differences. Uh, That was the promise at the beginning, you know, of our country. All men are created equal uh, and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Um, And so I just want to spend the rest of my life um, including people who weren't being included, which was the story of Jesus um, and, um, and, and is the story of how I think we can become a great nation again. I'll, I'll speak out of turn
0: here. I, I want to thank you for doing that on behalf of a, of a grateful nation because I'll just say that you, know, I, I, you, you, you recently wrote an op-ed um, that amazed me. It was titled, uh, Have Courage to Intervene Against Racist Aggression. And you made a comment in there that it's pastoral malfeasance not to address the issue of George Floyd. And I was so impressed that you wrote that and put that publicly. And again, I think your life is just a testament of the best of religion, America, and humanity. And... As we've talked about, I think Isaac's really proud of you. I hope Matt's really proud of me. And I know Jordan's really proud of Steve. And But for those three wonderful people, we've not had this wonderful opportunity to talk. And I I hope your computer's not running out of juice as I'm saying this. I don't want to get get, get cut off here to say that because I want to thank you so much for talking to us today, because it just meant so much to me personally, because from afar, I've always respected you and getting a chance to meet you, even through the technology that exists. um, It's really been a experience. I'll remember the rest of my life. I want to thank you so much for doing it. Thank you, Marshall. And
1: thank you, Steve. It's been wonderful talking with both of you.
2: Joel, I just wanted to say that you've helped Shelly and I so much, and um, we really appreciate you taking the time to meet us, and you put us on the right path. And I don't know, I think Shelly shared with you, you turned us on to Grief Share at Northland, and now we're leading it at our church at Journey. I love that. And, and we owe it to you, and we'd like to say thank you for actually taking the time and, and understanding where we're at.
1: Well, thank you. Thank both of you. You made my day.
0: Well, thank Thank you so much again. But for grief share, I never would have met Steve, and we never would have done this. So again, it's the known and the unknown, and and I'm I'm thanking you for all of them.
1: Thank you very much. You guys too. Have a good one. Thank you.
0: Thank you. You guys too. Thank you. Stay well.
2: Wow. I would just like to thank Dr. Hunter for coming on today and actually sharing his heart and opening up his thoughts with us on. All the things that we discussed, we actually discussed a lot of different things. Um, death of his son, death of his granddaughter, focusing on completing the journey for them. I um, I really feel like he helped Shelly and I get on the right path after Jordan died. He took the time to meet with us and um, I think is... His thoughts that he shared with us, the questions he answered for us, just got us on the right path uh, for healing and, and going through our grief. How about you, Marshall?
0: I think the amazing thing about Dr. Hunter is not only the totality of the wonderful, purposeful life that he's led helping others, but the fact that throughout his whole life, And the present time, he's shown incredible bravery to speak out for what he felt was right in general, and in particular, dealing with basic human rights and basic civil rights. And Lord knows our world needs more people who are willing to show the bravery that Dr. Hunter has to do that. And the world is a much better place because of his actions. And for that, I cannot thank him enough.
2: I, I agree with those comments. Uh, we'd also like to thank him for his thoughts and insights into a completely non-normal year of 2020. As we've all been dealing with COVID for the last several months, we got to hear some of his insight on that and some thoughts for us. I would just like to mention all the different things that Dr. Hunter is involved with, um, including being the founder and chairman of the Community Resource Network, which works to support all of the homeless organizations throughout Central Florida. He's the uh, author and creator of the Devotional Minute, which airs every morning on Z88 Radio. He and his son, Dr. Joel Hunter, do a Bright Side podcast, which is released once a week. Uh, shows run 20 to 30 minutes. He's the uh, the leader of Power Talks on TV 45 and the idea of simple help. And for all of the good things that he does for all of us in Central Florida, we'd both like to say thank you very much, Dr. Hunter, for joining us and sharing your heart today.
0: Absolutely. It was an honor to have Dr. Hunter as a guest. We really appreciate it.
2: Thanks, everybody, for joining us on Hope Through Grief.
0: Thank you so much and look forward to talking to you soon.
2: Thank you for joining us on Hope Through Grief with your co-hosts, Marshall Adler and Steve Smilski.
0: We hope our episode today was helpful and informative. Since we are not medical or mental health professionals, we cannot and will not provide any medical, psychological, or mental health advice. Therefore, if you or anyone you know requires medical or mental health treatment, please contact a medical or mental health professional immediately.